as a child, as a 12 year old, the thing that I'm starting to internalize is, oh, money causes problems. Money is hard to make because my parents fight about it all the time. Money is hard to make because like we get those like slips on our door pretty often. You know, Mm -hmm. these are the beliefs I grew up believing and I literally didn't start challenging them until like my mid 20s to late 20s. Yeah. Which is is crazy. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 53 of the Early Career Moves podcast. We will be wrapping season two at episode 60, which is coming up really soon. I'll be taking a break from the podcast for a few months. I haven't yet decided exactly which month I'll come back, but don't worry, I'll definitely be back in the fall of 2022. And the reason why I'm taking a break from the podcast for a little bit is because I've been building my career coaching practice. And right now I'm working with a handful of clients one-on-one, helping them achieve results, helping them transition careers with confidence and ease. And so I'm devoting a lot of my time supporting my clients in that work. But no worries, I will definitely be back after season two wraps. Okay, so I want to move on to introducing today's guest. Today we have Evie Prete, who also goes by La Mala Mujer blog. Evie Prete is a first-gen Latina mechanical engineer. She used to work in the space exploration industry, and she left her career, actually, to become an entrepreneur business owner. And what she does today is she helps people, women, BIPOC folks, LGBTQIA folks, how to advocate for themselves in salary negotiations. This episode ends up taking a really amazing turn where we focused a lot of our conversation on mindset and how important it is to do a lot of that mindset, emotional healing, thought work, and therapy is a wonderful way to do that, to rewire our beliefs about money, which is really critical to being a strong salary negotiator. Because you can read books on how to negotiate salary. You can learn a script. You know, that's great. That's very tactical. But if your mindset is not in a place where you're able to walk away from something that doesn't align with what, you know, you believe you deserve, then you're going to have a really hard time with negotiating. So loved that our conversation took that turn. And I can't wait to hear what you think about this episode. All right, loves, enjoy. Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. 
Well, I am so excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk about salary negotiation and all things salary transparency. So definitely want to dive in. But before we do that, will you quickly introduce yourself so that our listeners have a sense of who you are and that kind of thing? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from San Diego and I went to school at UC Davis and I studied mechanical engineering. So that's where my background is in. And I worked in before leaving last year, I worked in the space exploration industry. And yeah, when I first started my career, I just didn't really know how to navigate the conversation around salary negotiations. And in fact, I didn't negotiate at all in my first role because I just didn't know I could. And I come from a background where my mom cleaned houses. So it's not like she had, you know, 401ks or benefits or a salary. So I, you know, I just didn't know. And I remember upon, I was about to hit my one year at my new job. And I started to look into, you know, different blogs about like your annual review, what to talk about. And I remember the negotiation was part of it. And once I started to look into my salary, I realized how much I was being underpaid and dealing with a lot of feelings, feelings of not being worthy, feelings of just not being enough. I was really like, almost like embarrassed and felt a lot of shame around like not having negotiated because I didn't know that was I was supposed to do that. <laughs> and not only that, but I just, I was severely underpaid. It almost made me question my value and my worth. I just felt very alone and I didn't feel comfortable like talking to, I didn't really have any mentors at the time. And it was a conversation I just, I wasn't ready to have with like other people. I started to realize I wasn't the only one dealing with those feelings and dealing with those kind of that issue. I want to change that. I want to help people negotiate their salaries. I want to help them feel empowered around this conversation where many times a lot of us feel shame. And yeah, I just, I'm just being super open, honest and vulnerable. Hopefully I spark something in people to go and get theirs, you know? I definitely had that experience in one of my roles where I also did not negotiate, but then later I was a recruiter. And so of course I could see the salary bands that we were offering people. I realized that my salary was actually below the minimum point. Mm -hmm. And so I had this huge like kind of crisis where I was like, do I bring this up? Who do I talk to? Am I going to get fired if I bring this up? You feel very disempowered, you know, especially being first gen child of immigrants. Like you said, like my mom was a teacher. She never negotiated her salary. My dad worked for the city. It was like, you know, that just wasn't a thing. There's There mm-hmm. wasn't leverage. So yeah, what was your experience when you realized like, crap, like I'm not getting paid what I'm worth or not what I'm worth. I should not say that. I'm mm-hmm. not getting paid at market value. Well, definitely. I like, like you said, like I also had a crisis where I was just like, am I just like, how did I mess this up? You know? And I didn't really practice. I didn't really know what self-compassion was early on in my career. Now I practice that with myself a lot. And I feel so many times we feel like, oh, we should be like ahead or we should have asked for more. We should, we, we say that a lot. I should. And I feel like we really need to give ourselves like more compassion because the reality is we didn't have a lot of the resources to help guide us early on. So it's just like, okay, I took my first salary without negotiating. It is what it is, but I'm going to focus on what I can do to improve that. And yeah, when I went into negotiating, it didn't really go very well my first time. And in in matter of fact, I did negotiate a little bit more, but it was like, I I almost want to say it wasn't even like a thousand dollars. Like it was not much. It was, you know, it was the audacity. And that's when the first time that I learned that, well, you know, 
salary, your salary requirement, like what you're looking for is like a boundary. And, you know, as a, you know, first gen, I didn't really even have boundaries in general, like in my life with my friends or family. So of course I didn't have a boundary like at work. And Mm -hmm. what I started to learn was like, oh, if I accept lower than market value, I'm literally training my employer to expect them to pay me less. So, which was no surprise that I couldn't really increase my salary at the current position. So that's when I was like, you know what? I need to look for another job that is going to value me and you know pay me what I'd like to be paid. And like when I made that next step, I definitely was able to do that. But sometimes it takes like recognizing that maybe people don't see your value where you are and that's okay. That has nothing to do with you. If anything, that says a lot about the organization and there's a solution to that. So when you were starting to learn about salary negotiation, did you read like a ton of books about just like negotiation? Were there any resources that really helped you or was it more just like, just like doing it and talking to your friends about it and trying different strategies? That's a great question because it was, I tried to learn about it online through blogs and different things like that. But what I found was all the all of the blogs or the informational things that were out there at the time were all written by men. Yeah. And they were all like not helpful at all. They're like, <laughs> just ask for more. Make sure you sound strong. And I'm like, that is not the answer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for me as a woman of color, and I didn't know what the answer was at the time yet. But what actually helped me was I started therapy like a couple years ago. I don't remember when, but through therapy is when I realized like the tie between my limiting beliefs and like money. And literally that is where I was like, you know what? Like I know we're literally reading blogs and reading books and they're all saying, say this, say that, say this. None of them are talking about mindset because I can go and say the perfect script. I can go and say the perfect salary negotiation. But if I don't believe it, it shows. If I don't believe it, the moment they come back and say, oh, sorry, we can offer that. I'm going to say, okay, instead of, okay, well, let's find a different way to get there. So I honestly, like therapy is what really helped me see the value of myself and therefore it translated into like work, which is not like what most people say. I didn't have a book that like was like, wow, this book was so amazing. And I learned how to negotiate. It was trial and error and recognizing what was out there wasn't serving me. And then like just creating something that that did help me. Yeah. The limiting beliefs part, man, that is hard. It's hard to undo A lot of those limiting beliefs around finances, Mm -hmm. especially if you didn't have a lot of money at home, we can quickly fall to this scarcity thinking mindset, right? Around this is the best that I can get, or this is good enough, right? Like for my basic necessities. And there's even like times that you might feel like, like selfish a little bit for asking for more. What are some really common limiting beliefs that you see your clients kind of face, especially that that can really get in the way of negotiation? Yes, there's so many. The fear of being told no, like the fear of losing Mm. your job, the fear of this is like the one that gets me the fear of like, asking for more money is confrontational. And this is when I had to really sit with myself. And if you really piece it apart, it's, you know, as women, especially in our culture, we're taught not to really say our truth and to, you know, please people. So when we're talking around money, the belief is that like, when I talk about money, it's unpleasant, or I shouldn't be having a conversation around money, because that's not my role. And it's important to recognize that money is just a resource, right? Like literally money is neither good or bad. It's literally just a resource, right? 
And when we go to ask for more money, let's say to our managers, we go to negotiate. Sometimes our managers or whoever we're talking to feel a certain way about it. And that is called projection because that is them (laughs) taking how they feel about you making more money and like literally just projecting it onto you. And the problem is that like when we don't recognize that, we literally take their projection and we like internalize it. And they're like, oh, snap, I, sh- I knew I shouldn't have asked for more. Like he, my manager, like doesn't think I'm worth it. And it might not be that. And it really is just like getting comfortable with understanding that like being unattached almost to the salary number. Be like, this is a resource. This is what I need for my, for, you know, for my student loans, for my rent, for my bills. This is a talk about the pay for my services. When you talk about it in that way, it's almost not about you. It's about your work. But definitely it's like very challenging to separate the two, kind of what you mentioned and focusing on it. And like people, we all, people feel a certain way about money. And it's just very important to be like, self-aware of like how you feel when you have that conversation being aware of how you feel is like the first step to like understanding the limiting beliefs so if i walk into negotiations and i'm really anxious and really nervous what is the thought that's making me feel that what's the belief that's making me feel this anxiety right absolutely Um, yeah for me what's always been a helpful idea or thought is that our jobs are really an exchange of like labor, time, expertise, skills for Mm -hmm. money (laughs) and benefits. It's actually a very clear cut exchange. And I think sometimes like we try to make work mean so much about who we are as people. Mm -hmm. And it's a very American thing. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, work defines who we are as a person Mm -hmm. and you know, what is the first question people like to ask you in the US? It's what do you do? Whereas like other places, like it's just not really the first thing someone would ask you. And I think that's part of maybe why also salary can feel really taboo is because Mm -hmm. it literally feels your worth is being assigned a number when it really should be more neutral. Like it really should Mm -hmm. just be like, this is what (laughs) I would charge and would like gladly accept to be a part of your organization. And Mm -hmm. if it's not a fit for you, that's fine. There's so many other organizations out there that would be excited to have me, right? And I feel like it's like that no, hearing no, right, from the employer saying, oh, we don't have that in the budget. That's way out of our, you know, requirements. Sometimes you like get scared, like, oh, my, this might be the only chance I get. I should just take it. And that's like where that scarcity mindset comes into play. But yeah, I love what you said about it's really just an exchange and it's a conversation has nothing to do with like your worth as a person. Like you said, I think that's why it's so challenging to talk about like money to talk Mm -hmm. about our salaries because we do assign some worth to it. Oh, I'm worthy because I make this or I'm not worthy because I make this. And people think, well, I don't make six figures. So I must not be that smart. I must not be that good or X, Y, Z, but it's just a number. It's just a number. I want everyone's number to be high, which is why I love having Mm -hmm. these conversations. Mm -hmm. So when I was in business school, a big goal of business school is trying to get like the best possible offer that you can get. And they very much teach you how to negotiate and et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And I noticed that like my male colleagues or friends were more vocal about like, absolutely not. I would never take that. And 
I love that. I'm like, I feel like we should all be that way. But, you know, I don't hear that from women as much. And Mm -hmm. I think part of that is the history of men being conditioned and told you're the breadwinner, you have to provide for the family, this whole provider role that they're put into. Have you seen that like in in your experiences, like this gendered experience too? Yeah, well, I definitely have more clients, like most of my clients are women. Mm -hmm. I would say like 90 Eight percent of my clients are women or like LGBTQ non-binary individuals, and I'm I'm sure that there are like men out there that like also struggle with negotiating, but it's definitely almost like an overarching theme that like my clients or or women feel like like they just feel uncomfortable having that conversation. They feel like they're gonna what's the word like step on someone's toe or be confrontational and say hey like setting yeah. your boundary, saying your salary number is not stepping, it shouldn't cause any confrontation. If it does, you need to get out of there quick because that's not a healthy work environment. I feel like a lot of it is like based on gender. A lot of it is also based on like cultural upbringing. I definitely Um, see people that grew up in Latinx or uh, different communities definitely have different things they're dealing with, different limiting beliefs. And they're all around the same idea, especially if you add like this social economical aspect of it. A lot of people who like myself, like I grew up pretty poor, like, I saw my parents argue about money all the time. Bitch notices were pretty regular. So what that might have conditioned me to believe as a child, as a 12-year-old who's like learning to observe the world, the thing that I'm starting to internalize is, oh, money causes problems. Money is hard to make because my parents fight about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Like money is hard to make because like we get those like slips on our door pretty often, you know, mm-hmm. these are the beliefs I grew up believing. And I literally didn't start challenging them until like my mid twenties to late twenties. Yeah. Just, which is crazy. So it's, I took this belief as like a 12 year old who's observing, you know, the world I'm in my environment. And I just, what's so crazy is like, when we have these beliefs, like we hold on to them until we take the time to like actually recognize what our beliefs are. And we're so busy with life that many people don't ever stop to recognize their beliefs. Don't mm-hmm. ever stop to like think about what's the underlying like belief systems yes. that they have. You know, our parents go from trying to survive, you know, survival mode and we're like in a different setting. Yeah. And so it's the first time that we're actually able to take the time to acknowledge our thought patterns and acknowledge what our beliefs are and to challenge them, which I think is pretty incredible. Yeah. It's like opening a closet that has been closed and there's a lot of random old boxes that have not been opened in years. I feel like when you start to do that mindset work, it's scary because you can open the door and be like, what is all of this stuff? And that's why I agree. Going to therapy for me was huge. And I went to therapy really late. I, I didn't go until I was 30. But that's when I started to undo and realize, oh my gosh, all of these belief systems that I need to... And I never questioned. I just accepted as truth. And then you realize, wait, some of these are optional. I can actually change what I think (laughs) yeah absolutely it's like really incredible because I also went to therapy I think it was like 27 so pretty late in the game and oh my god I was so resistant my mindset was like all right hurry up and fix me I'm paying you lots of money woman (laughs) like (laughs) you know oh my god so funny but you have to get over the idea that like therapy you only need therapy if something's wrong yeah like because I still have friends that are like 
why would you need therapy? And I'm like, what do you mean? We all need therapy. Yes. Yes. It's like, I remember the first time I told my mom that I was like going to therapy, like just a little bit of background. It was a very tough year. Like my dad had passed away. I was dealing with, I just got diagnosed with PTSD and my dad passed away three months later. And then I was going through a breakup. So it was like a lot. So I'm so glad I had a therapist at that time. Cause like, I don't know how I like white knuckled it for that long, you know? No. Yeah. Um, and then our do. parents too, like how they've done it yeah. without emotional help. And yeah. Yeah. And it's, I remember being like, I'm going to tell my mom that I'm seeing a therapist and that we'll see how this goes, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember telling her and she was like, I know, mija, eso no se hace. Like, <laughs> you don't go telling strangers about like your stuff. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, we don't even talk to each other about how we feel. Like, it's so, like, when my dad passed away, for example, like, we didn't talk about it. You know what I mean? Everyone's dealing with their emotions, but we didn't talk about it. And it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's it's up to us to, like, break that pattern. Like, you know what? No, I, I want to talk about this. It's healthy to talk about it. And I love learning about, there's this book, and I think it's called um, When the Body Says No. It's, like, a really great medical book. And it's a doctor who correlates, uh, draws a correlation between repressing like emotion mm-hmm. and like immunity like immune dis- autoimmune disease and there's like a correlation there which makes sense especially when like I'm just like I love geeking out I love learning about like different science but like when we cry it's literally the body's way of relieving both emotional and physical stress so mm-hmm. when we cry we release things like oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins things that make us feel good and when we subscribe to like machismo kind of culture and mm-hmm. oh no, you don't cry. When we subscribe to that, we're literally just hurting our own. You know what? Like machismo culture doesn't serve me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it affects both women and men, but I feel like it's hurting ourselves. Badly. And yeah, and it, it takes a lot of courage and strength to be like, no, it's harder almost on men because it's like, I, there's a condition that like men don't cry. I feel like it's also the same for women. The body literally needs to regulate itself and Mm -hmm. crying is one way to do it. Exercising vigorously is another way. I also read that like hugging someone for 20 seconds, which is a really long time, can do that like human touch. Emily Nagoski is an author that I love. She wrote Burnout, I think it's called. And then where she talks a lot about this. And she also wrote like a sexual health book called Come As You Are, which I also love. I love that. Also a totally different topic, but you know, still good. But yeah, it's just this whole idea of like self-regulation. And when we don't allow ourselves to process emotion, it gets mm-hmm. blocked literally in our bodies and it holds and us is, back. Yeah. And it, that's where it connects to these like limiting beliefs because we've yeah. never had the time or the space emotionally to process that. And it, it is, it's all interconnected. So it all comes back, right? It's all interconnected because I think people are afraid of what's in that closet. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of the thoughts. So Mm -hmm. then they avoid ever opening it because they're Mm -hmm. afraid of a feeling. And what I always say is like a feeling only lasts about 90 seconds. I mean, obviously you might cry for longer, but it passes. Like my point is like eventually the moment passes and Mm -hmm. I always feel so much better when I process the emotion. Yeah, absolutely. That's like the the serotonin and the and the endorphins from crying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So whenever I feel the need to cry, I used to like just like almost compose myself and be like, I'll cry in a bit, I'll cry later. And then I feel like I got to the point where I'm like, no, 
I'm going to cry right now, like in front of this person right now, you know, like, awesome. um, I'm, I'm still not there, but I love that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I recognize it's like my body, like needing to release this yeah. and not only that, yeah. but it also helps with it's only, like you said, like, it's like internalized machismo, even as a woman, yeah. I don't want to cry in front of my friend or I'm crying in front of somebody, but I yeah. realize that, like crying in front of the people I care about gives us the space to like, you know, just work through it. And And also be human, right? Like it's like the most humanizing thing. It's so vulnerable to cry Mm -hmm. in front of someone, even someone you love, even though there's a safe space, like it still feels so vulnerable. Even if you think about like how we cry, what's the first reaction you do when you cry? Like (laughs) usually cover your face. (laughs) And it's almost like this idea of I'm not worthy when I'm like this. Yeah, You know, it's like, oh, it's so internalized. Sorry. But yeah, it all comes back to like self-worth and it comes back to like, to not allow something external, like a salary number to define your self-worth. Self-worth is just like, you are the only person who can ever define your worth. And I think people forget that. I think people don't realize that. And so they rely on job titles. They rely on status. They rely on their salary number when really like you are the only person who has power over what yourself. Yeah. I think that's a powerful message to leave folks with is like, it's worth doing that mental work, the emotional work, therapy, whatever it is like, because yeah, I think we have to be in a good place to be armored up adequately for those conversations and Mm -hmm. and be in a position where we're able to walk away and seek what we believe we deserve you know right it's like really building massive amount of like self-belief in yourself to be like Mm -hmm. I have faith in myself that if I say no something else will come along that's better and is in more alignment with what I want and with the pain that I want and that's like pretty difficult. Like we spend so much time having faith in other things and other people and religion, which is, you know, which is good. But how often do we like take time to build faith in ourselves? Yeah. You know? And so I feel like the more that we practice that, the more that we are able to say no to things that don't serve us. And to like actually keep that and be like, I'm not going to go, even though I'm tempted to be like, I think nothing's coming. I'm scared. And the thing is that I think people think that I'm fearless and I am not like, Fear is natural. Fear is a feeling, right? Fe- like mm-hmm. fear is an emotion that is part of life. When we challenge ourselves, when we do scary things, when we negotiate that salary, right? Like fear, it's okay to have fear. But what's not okay is to, to like not move forward in, in the direction of your dream or what you want or your goals due to fear. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It, it takes courage to walk towards the direction you want to go despite the fear that you may feel. But the more that we do that, the more that we realize what we're capable of. You're like, oh, wow, I did that. And I negotiated like way more than I expected. I can do that. Like, I'm going to keep doing that. And then (laughs) I know it's just like in the conversation of like salary, but like that impacts other areas of our life too. Like drawing boundaries, saying no, walking away from things or people and knowing, trusting ourselves that better is out there. Mm -hmm. So it's a very powerful thing. And it really is rooted in like, inner work kind of stuff. Yeah. I I love that you have created a container to work with people through this process and teach them something that they can apply for the rest of their lives in like different contexts and like, you know, different areas of their life. If someone wants to work with you, how could they find you? How does that work? 
Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at La Mala Mujer blog. You can book a clarity call with me. You can send me a DM or even look at my website to see like more of what I offer. But I'm always looking for new clients for the group coaching program. I went from engineering, which is like very different to following something that like really lights me up, something that I'm really passionate about. And so it's so wonderful to work with people in something that I'm very passionate about. And I like really have so much gratitude for the clients that I've had and for the clients that I will have. And it's just, uh, I just don't know how to describe this feeling. It's amazing. Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com and sign up to get your free 20 page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right. Can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.